Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the second episode of Generational Emotions. I'm your co-host, Soma Lambert, and joined by my other co-host, Doug Fulp from the Wellness Center. Good morning, Doug. Good morning, Soma. How's it going? It's going very well. You know, I think we should start today's episode like we do with every episode. Uh, Let's start with this day in history, or yesterday's day in history. I have a little clip here uh, that I'm going to play and we're gonna react to what we're about to listen to. And that's the Mike Tyson we've been looking for all night. So no matter what happens, we give a lot of credit to Buster Douglas for making this a big, big fight. Tyson trying to end it with one big shot again. He's down, he comes with the uppercut. Come on, brother, Buster's throwing shot back. Hey, look at this! Look at Buster coming back! Did he fuck the lights to Mike? I don't know, he got him again! Doug, can you feel the emotion? I can see the hair is standing up on his arm right now. I, I wish I could paint the picture of the emotions in this room right now. Iron Mike Tyson, Doug, what's the biggest thing you remember? Because obviously I wasn't alive during the time to appreciate one of the great boxers of all time. Well, you were alive. I don't. Just you weren't I was, able I was to, old enough to understand or comprehend what was going. on. I wasn't there for this moment in particular. Uh, Iron Mike's first L of his career knocked down in the knocked out in the tenth tw- round uh, by Buster Douglas. What do we? What do you remember about this fight? So I was younger, but definitely watching the greatness that was Mike Tyson was. Very similar when we talk about some of the other sports, but it was so different. It, it was, I don't like drawing comparisons across sports, but when we look at Tiger Woods and taking over golf for the early part of his career, Tyson was not touchable. No one could do it. But then this fight comes up, and it's 42 to 1 were the odds in Vegas that mm-hmm. day. And I, only a few people, I think, made Now, babies. Douglas came in with uh, uh, one blemish on his record, of course. Tyson undefeated inside the Tokyo Dome. I don't I don't remember the last time we had a boxing match in the Tokyo Dome, unless yeah, I'm forgetting a, yeah, a key one. But but I remember, so I was young enough to where I wasn't getting the pay-per-views. There was no way my parents were signing off on that idea. Mm-hmm. Um, but everyone was paying attention to it, even just from the idea, just the talk up. And, I mean, Don King could make a show out of anything, literally anything he could make you want to pay attention to, especially in that era. But to see the outcome and to watch ESPN SportsCenter that night and to watch the highlights and to watch Mike Tyson actually get really the the major punch, the thing that, that buckled the knees was just that quick inside uppercut, which is what Mike Tyson was known for. That's what he did to everyone. Uh, the clip that we just played, I, I was rewatching the highlights of that fight. <laughs> The, the inside uppercut was just, oh my goodness. And when you look at it too, to compare it now to nowadays, when we look at the heavyweight division, Mike Tyson and Buster Douglas were two huge human beings, uh-huh. both huge and muscles popping out of everywhere. There was, there was not a whole lot that was wasted on that. And to see that much power go into those punches and to identify that Mike Tyson too was human. Yeah. 
uh, he, he, that's a that's a key component there because this is the same guy that, of course, uh, you know, bit half of the ear off of Vander Holyfield. Watched that one happen. And you watched that one happen as well. See, to me, boxing has been dead in my era and generation because our boxer is Floyd Mayweather. Of, of this era and I see you cringe because I cringe also I didn't <laughs> I didn't get to watch exciting boxing matches like you know like the Tyson and the Holyfields and you know of course you know way back you know Sugar Ray Leonard uh, Muhammad Ali you know that's when boxing was you know we I, I've been watching ESPN's you know uh, Friday Night Fight Nights yep. for the past uh, couple years now and it, it does draw my attention but you know, I, I feel like this opens up a, a bit. Where where is boxing gone? Is boxing here anymore? Well, has it, it has UFC kind of taken over that? And would you the, say the MMA definitely has a place in the idea that it it brought forth a new era of fighting because it wasn't just punching, and it brought in martial arts and it brought in scrapping a little mm. bit. And it showed a more well-rounded some theatrics component to it. as well as we saw with the McGregor and Khabib fight recently. Well, and a lot of that though had to come out of, and I think honestly, and I, it has to do with the management and whatnot. Uh, until the current and uh, management structure took place, MMA was kind of sort of dying itself. It was kind of doing the same way of boxing, mm-hmm. but it's the ownership group that came along with Dana White as the promotions. Kind of like Don King, he understands how to market to people, how to bring into different things. I think maybe there's sometimes, like McGregor, uh, that borrow a little bit too much from WWE. Yeah. But it's also been known to be an effective way of marketing, and it definitely draws the crowds. But with boxing, I think it did fall away because we don't have the matchups anymore. Mm-hmm. And when you look at MMA, people know who the top five in each division are, where I don't know that you can name me a whole bunch of different people that are currently boxing in different weight classes right now. Who, where, where do we put Floyd Mayweather on the all-time list? One of the greatest all-time defensive Te- boxers. technicians. Yes, he understands how to play it very much mm-hmm. from like an Olympic boxing level oh. of strategy and points. And he's not excited. I don't remember technician. ever. I think the last. I think the only exciting fight that I can remember recently. He had the Canelo Alvarez fight that was yeah. enjoyable. Eh. Uh, but you know, then you, of course you put McGregor in the ring with them ten rounds. I mean, that drew the attention and it got people excited that you know uh, we can we can dream. It wasn't going to happen, but we can dream of a scenario where Conor McGregor knocks off the undefeated you know world class boxer. It was never going to happen. No, never going to happen. But, but you wanted to see how it went. Yeah, you want to see and how they it went. were able to sell up that event. But that puts into perspective. I think that's what boxing is now. And I, I would agree with you. Like, uh, selling the these promotional you know cross branded fights that you know, we didn't think were going to happen, honestly. What's interesting, too, though, is when you had that fight between Mayweather and McGregor, they both got paid significantly more than MMA fighters get oh, yeah. paid, the, which the, is a whole longer conversation we oh, probably yeah. should have another day. But the idea of where boxing still is a payday. Mm-hmm. Like, there's still the demand out there for it when you get to the the pinnacle of the sport people still getting paid. So it's still there. It's still alive. It's just not in the mainstream as much as it used to be. MMA has stolen a little bit of that. WWE has stolen a little bit of it. I think it has to do with attention spans too because we like things quicker, faster, like boxing or with basketball, like we're going to talk about, I think, in a little bit. We talk about all-star Ooh, scores yeah. and things. We'll get there. But 
Um, I think that's where MMA plays better into the, the short attention spans. A limit is a championship fight is five rounds. Back in the day, those boxing fights, you wanted them to go 12 rounds. You wanted to see what they looked like when they came off the, the stools. Yeah. 12, and that's a lot different from what it is now. And 12 rounds of a, a boxing match is you're you're in your house recuperating for the next you know x amount of months so true. your face you know gets back to normal swelling very true yeah uh before we get off uh this day in history um i've been i've been told that you have a surprise uh Saw it just this morning all right let's spit so, it out what, what do we got and this might be a good transition as we start to move towards the nba and the all-star game is coming up but this day in history Vin Sanity. Last week we talked about Lin Sanity. Ooh, there couldn't be nice. a Lin Sanity without a Vin Sanity. Nice. One of my and favorite NBA players of all time. This day in history was the day that he put on a clinic yeah. on the slam dunk contest. Yes or no? Best dunker of all time. Yes. Whoa! Yes. Over Dr. J even? Yes, because Whoa. he I was didn't think he's, gonna go there. He is the the breaking point between old school and new school okay. in the idea and the evolution of the dunk as it's played in the game, outside the game, the dunk contest, the evolution of that. So you, you're, you're talking, bringing all kinds of aspects to this then. I like it. Because Dr. J, amazing. Even, even Jordan? I mean, Jordan, like, amazing. But then Vincenity was, the, was the change into the creativeness of. Right. Jordan was launching from the foul line. Amazing athletic feat. Yeah. Vince Carter put his elbow all the way inside the rim. He did. No one ever thought about that yeah. before. Yeah, he did. Uh, I was having, we were just talking uh, on our last show, Fearless Frustrations, about what the, uh, and this is going to kind of segue into uh, what we're talking about next in the All-Star Weekend, where, where the dunk contest has gone from the Vince Carter, Vince Sandy, to what it is now. And I see the expression on your face, and I, I think I nailed it right where it's at. Props are being uh, prioritized over actual dunking, right? I think it started with Blake Griffin jumping over the front of a the hood of a car, not the actual car. Okay, I, I want everyone to okay. realize that it was not that impressive for someone with that kind of athleticism. But anyway... Um, you know the the like birthday cakes, you know blowing out the candles in mid dunk. That was oh, okay. kind of fun. That was kind of fun. Was, I think that was Gerald Green back in like '06. Um, but what 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 was it like? And now what has it become? Uh, do you like what it's become, or where are you at? I liked. I think it was Dwight Howard was trying to get him to let him dunk on a 12 foot hoop. Mm -hmm. About six seven. Yeah, years that ago. was that was the Dwight Howard Superman era. Yeah, and. That would have let it go to a different level, a different thing, something that you couldn't recreate in your driveway kind of thing to show the difference. But I think that's what the hard part's been is that you've seen almost everything that people can come up with anymore. I mean, every once in a while someone can come up with a, a self-bounce pass between the legs, up, bring the ball behind your back over the shoulder and slam it down. But I'm trying to recount some of the most ridiculous dunks I've seen over the – like the like creativity-wise, I'm, I'm trying to tap into that part of my brain right now but i can't i mean the cars have been done um jumping over former i think Shaq or nate robinson jumped over Shaq. that was fun i want to see someone jump over yao you jump over yao i'll be impressed right that'd be pretty good i'll be or boban boban's was seven six like get the tallest person you can find like okay obviously you think tall and big you think Shaq, right. but like take take it to the next step um 
we've seen the the bounce passes off the the top of the the backboards and the, and then the reverse slam. Um, are you are you aware of the the participants in this weekend's dunk contest? We got Dennis Smith Jr., Miles Bridges, John Collins, and Hamedo uh, Hem, Hem, Diallo uh, of OKC. Bunch of young guys you may not have heard of, but I barely know who they are. Um, I'm also not the most avid NBA fan. Um, we'll talk about that just a little bit too, as I want to drop my own little 15 seconds of fame on a different sport, um, similar to a different show where they give yeah, 15 seconds to yeah. soccer. I want to give 15 Ladies seconds. Ladies and gentlemen, we're going to have to talk about bowling. Uh, just for 15 I, seconds. I promised our co-host today that we'll get to some bowling. Just for 15 seconds. But um, who who do you, who's your favorite this week in the dunk contest? Having no inclination really about any of who these guys are, because I I have personally not. I've watched a little bit of how they each play. I have my personal pick. Just what off, are you thinking? off of that bunch, I think uh, Miles Bridges. The he he plays for the Hornets, and my there's such thing as a two percent athlete, right? I, I I firmly stand by that. He he's in that mold. Huh. He he is in the what's another just like a Zion the Zion Williamson mold of just ridiculous athleticism that you will never see in another person. Well, I think that's where the good things of the dunk contest are going. Unfortunately, back in the day, you used to get the highlights, the big names. And then where the younger guys could come up was like through that freshman sophomore game. I thought that was a great creation, kind of like a JV of All Star game, mm. um, to help you be aware of some of those younger players. Now that's where the dunk contest has gone. Uh, I'm more excited to see the three point contest. I saw I Derek's going to throw in there. Derek's going to be I, in there. I'm like, well, that's pretty cool for us old guys who remember, you know. I don't know if Derek's got the speed to get around in the full. That minute. might take him a little. He might not quite make it to the last <laughs> money ball, but we're gonna see. And uh, Seth Curry is in that Curry one. Curry brothers, Dame Lillard. Oh yeah, his brother. Yeah. Don't, don't doubt my man, Dame Lillard. Uh, he always loves participating in all the the events of the weekend because he plays for you know a, a city that he doesn't get too much recognition in. So he he likes to. So see, I'm more excited for that stuff bit. than compared. I mean, I'll still watch the dunk highlights. ESPN will put them about it together, mm-hmm. give them to me in a two minute segment, and I'll be good. Yep, I'm, I'm about the same way. Um, let's, uh, let, let's give you your, your 15 to, you know, 10 seconds to, to fame here. Uh, you, let's talk about bowling for a second, Doug. Where, where are we at with bowling? Who, who, who are the... When we talk about the idea of generational shifts and sports evolving or like boxing, finding the, where, where, where has bowling sport? gone from that point to this point? Has it grown? So, has it? Oh no, bowling's dying. Bowling's dead. Just bowling, dying. It's not dead yet. But it's, it's not dying. dead yet, but it's dying. The and I was going to do this to you as kind of like a blind one of just randomly thrown out there to see if you could remember or ever hearing about who the first million dollar endorsement deal was, <laughs> and it was a bowler. Yeah, it was Don Carter. You, you told that to me. I'm like, okay. <laughs> and it was from Adult Beverage Company. We won't necessarily you know throw them any okay. any light yeah. necessarily, but uh, uh, yeah, he was the first million dollar endorsement from a beer company, and it makes some sense because in the 80s when this happened. First million dollar contract. Bowling's huge. Bowling centers everywhere. Multiple leagues every single night. People going bowling on the weekends for fun. We don't see that happening too much. I mean, our town is an example of that and that the idea that the bowling alley closed thinking that there's not enough a demand for it. Mm-hmm. And people always say, well, if there was a bowling alley, I'd go to it. Well, the bowling alley wasn't so popular when it was open. Yeah. And that was part of the problem is that it was it's declining in its popularity. And... We have a local, we have more than a, one local players who are on the professional bowling tour, and I happen to know a couple of them. One, Marshall Kent, just took third in the Tournament of Champions this last weekend, one of the major events for bowling. 
He qualified second. Uh, and they have match play where they randomly play against each other in the top 24. And I think he went like 18 and four. Like he just dominated everybody else in match play. He kind of has the thing when he gets on TV. Uh, his record right now is three and 12 on TV. So um, when he gets into the big lights, but part of that is the momentum and where the sport is and things. Um, but I think people still have this image of a professional bowler from like the movies like Kingpin. One of my or, favorite movies of all time. Right. Mine too. Um, Classic. Where people think of like overweight and smoking and everything else. Where if you looked at the top five bowlers this last weekend that were on the telecast, they are all in extreme shape. And Marshall, for one, he took a couple weeks off of the tour to come home to Yakima, where he's from. His dad owns Knob Hill Bowling Alley. He put himself through two-a-days of two-a-day practices and two-a-day in the gyms for two hours apiece. He dropped 19 pounds to become more athletic. And the idea, and that helped him get through what was four days, 20-some games a day of bowling to be to the television, to the Tournament of of Champions. And he could have won, well, any of the players could have won a million dollars if they threw a 300 in the final game. Whole lot of pressure on them to do that. It's only been done twice on TV in the finals. But Fox Sports has brought them on as a new sport. They're trying to highlight them. They got it up and they put this in. And for all of the four uh, major events for the year, the finalists could win an additional $1 million. But the prize pools used to be up there in like the hundreds of thousands of dollars. And for winning a major last year, I think someone took home $35,000. Still a good purse. Still enough money for, you know. That's a nice year's tuition right there. Um, but the idea that that's the pinnacle of the sport and that's kind of concerning that where it's going, um, still alive, but not as vibrant as it once was. No, I apologize for taking more than 15 seconds to go through that. You know what? No, here on generational emotions, we like to give, uh, give all sports, uh, their, their, their credit words. I I can say myself, I'm not a great bowler. I'm not a bad bowler. I, I graduated from bumpers at about age 15, 22 <laughs> uh somewhere around there i think my 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 high mark is about a 150 160, something like that but uh for all you bowlers out there um doug uh you, you're gonna have to go out and play do they call it a match is it is it a bowling match yeah they do match play match play like w- w- would you qualify yourself as the best bowler in the cirque in the circ easily. In the circ easily. So if I if I <laughs> I'm gonna have to go and find some other bowlers and maybe you guys have to have like a most of us know each other. We we'll, we'll set up some like a bowling alley somewhere in, in the back of the studio here and, and some paper pins or, or something. We'll we'll recreate like a nice little. We'll get you guys going or something like that. I don't know. I do average about two fifteen. Average is about two two fifteen. Yep. That's it. That's pretty Doug, good bowling. I th- Doug, I thought you were like a 300 a game bowler. I've I've bowled two 300s in my career. That's it? Only two? Only two. Only two? It's a difficult feat to obtain. <laughs> All right. Anyway, let's move on from the bowling. Let's get into today's debate, Doug. What's the debate? Okay. The debate is this. Uh, I was watching the uh, Undisputed, my, my favorite uh, you know, sports talk show with Skip and Shannon Sharp. Um, anyone that doesn't watch, I recommend that you too. It really makes me laugh. But what they were, Skip was saying was that, uh, it was the debate of whether or not rings determines, determines goat stature, right? Um, and let's dissect it right away. Do rings determine the goat? Well, easily as they said, no, Mm -hmm. it can't because if it is, well, Bill Russell got about 11, yeah, 11 rings, of them. enough for all of his fingers and his big toe. Mm-hmm. So 
he's doing uh, the he's the greatest shut the door never gonna happen again if that's where the criteria you want to go on um but i don't think that's what declares necessarily greatness i think part of it has to do with competition Mm -hmm. it has to do with what you had to overcome within the own parameters or barriers of your time when we talk about jordan it was much more a defensive age of basketball more team game uh what LeBron is able to do in this age of basketball is amazing, is ridiculous, where he's the combination of so many different players when he can facilitate, he can assist, he can take it to the paint, he can jump, pull up for a jump shot. It has to do with their ability to play within the structure they're in, and in Bill Russell's day, there ain't no way touching him. No. He was, he was the biggest man on the court, much like, you know, the – the, the argument, see, his word, and this opens, of course, the MJ and LeBron debate, which we've had plenty of times, but I'm never afraid to go back into it again. Um, you, you mentioned, you know, the, the times you played in, the, the differences of the game between then and now. You know, everyone argues, well, you know, Jordan didn't won six rings because he didn't have the competition playing against him that LeBron did. And, you know, LeBron's facing these, you know, stacked Warriors teams that somehow he escaped with one ring which probably shouldn't have happened. Um, but watching, you know, Jordan play in that, can you firmly say that LeBron has played against better competition in the finals than Jordan did? The the reaction on your the face. Overall, I'm 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 debating it. I'm and the, and you're a, and you're a Jordan guy all the way. I am. You're a Jordan guy. I know that much. And part of that, and we've talked about this quite a bit, is the idea of sitting there and watching those games and. Like when the Sonics were good, like the idea, the Sean Kemp, Gary Payton, uh, Detlef Schramm, yeah, McMillan, like all that was a, the team that they put together was phenomenal. And battling it out in the West against the Phoenix Suns with Charles Barkley and those knockdown dragout competitions, and then to watch them go into the finals and just pretty much get obliterated yeah. uh, by the Bulls. But like, it was like the equivalent of watching uh, uh, this last year's Cavs team go into the finals of the Warriors, more or less. Or you, Sonics you, were a little bit more competitive. A little but bit not, more competitive. But not they didn't have the J.R. Smiths on the on the team. And the, yeah. But I don't know. It's, it's hard because it was such a different thing and a different type of game. But when you look at it and when we sit back in, in 20 years when, you know, it's the oldest generation, you'll be the older and we'll come find somebody who's working the station at that time. And we'll find three generations of different things to look at. Just real quick, do you know how like nostalgic, just strange and uncomfortable it makes me feel that I am now older than the majority of the players in the NBA because at least forty percent of them are still nineteen, twenty years old. I I, I don't even know how you feel about. I'll it. I'll just wait till you're older than most I, of the coaches. Sh- oh, and anyway, keep, please go on. So. In 20 years when we look back and we find some young DJ who wants to put on a show and you and I are like, let's go do it for old time's sake. We're going to look back and there's going to be more Hall of Famers that come out of this generation of basketball. Oh, absolutely. Because I think there's a lot of reasons for it. So in that way, yes, LeBron's playing against better competition in that notion of all time greatness. But I don't think that diminishes from the idea of what Jordan did and what he was able to do at his specific time and place there was a uh i got a notification this morning of a uh, quote from michael jordan um and it was in reference and is gonna i kind of we can we could go hours on the the all-time goat debate and I, I think it's an endless discussion because you know where i stand i know where you stand but something that jordan said this morning resonated he was because uh he was being asked about uh westbrook's incredible 
uh, 10th straight triple-double, beating, uh, you know, Wilt for that record. And he was pretty much asked, you know, what do you think of it and how does it determine, you know, GOAT status, blah, blah, blah. And he, he went back to one fact, six of six. He was six of six in NBA Finals appearances. He went six times, came out with six rings. LeBron, three and three and six now? Is it nine nine times in the finals? Seven straight, yeah, three and six. What do we think about... Is it more impressive that to go to nine finals collectively and have that record? Or is it... Obviously, the answer is it's more impressive to go six times and win all six times. Well, that's where... I will give that edge to Jordan, hands down. No matter the competition or whatever. Well, and when he's doing it at the same time, it's not only that it's not only that he was the MVP all yeah, six. all six MVPs. All six. Incredible. Each of those six years, he's also first team all defense. Mm-hmm. He's also in the scoring title race every single year. But that also goes to the idea of what you were just bringing up with Westbrook and doing the triple doubles. Triple doubles didn't happen back in the 80s and the 90s. Because the final scores were 89 to 84. Mm-hmm. That's not a lot of points to go around. Now, just the other day, it was 140 for the Sixers versus 120 for the Lakers. And that was a regular game against two, quote-unquote, competitive teams. We'll get into that one later mm-hmm. another time. But they're, back in those days, you might see that in the All-Star game when they're not playing defense. But the idea where the scores are now it allows for more opportunities for more assists and more points to be scored and more rebounds to be had because the ball's going up every 2.5 seconds. Yeah. So that's a very different game from when when Jordan was playing. So in that notion, you couldn't see that. And so that's where I don't want to equate necessarily just because he has more triple doubles that that puts him into the conversation of greatest. So let's, let's go in more on this Russell Westbrook triple-double thing. How does that compare to what Wilt did back in the day then? I mean, obviously, I don't... Neither of us can say yep. that we were we were enjoying Wilt just tear it up, but I mean, um, maybe I need to bring Jeff in here. Jeff Jeff was around that 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 peak. It was like maybe like three or four when Wilt was still playing. Uh, I'll no, ask he's him about my age. it. I'll I'll ask him about it anyway. But uh, and I think but that goes again with the the Russell conversation is that Wilt Chamberlain was able to score a hundred points. Because no one was anywhere near his size, yeah. no near his ability to get Wilt, Wilt the boards. Wilt was like the Andre the Giant of basketball, more right. or less, is what I like to. I, I love think that, com- that comparison because if you look at like Andre the Giant or Yokozuna in WWE, yeah. like you put those actually to do a wrestling match, is anyone really gonna pick up no. Yokozuna without him giving a little bit of a hop? Uh, no. Right. No. It's not gonna happen. Lex did it, but you know that's a, on a on a battleship. But he, I think he needed a little bit of a, a little bit of a hop to get him up. Anyway, which way? Um, there's just no competition in that sense. There was great players at that time, but no one to compare directly against. And so, though a, amazing feat, amazing athlete, deserves to be a Hall of Famer easily. Not quite greatest player of all time. Mm, you're talking about Will. Will. Okay. Not quite. Yeah. Yeah. Fair enough. I I think. To not put him in conversation of top five greatest of all time, I think is disrespectful. Just Agreed. what he did. Um, but again, we we gotta find someone that was that was around. Maybe we can bring Jimbo Gardino in on the program. I know that maybe. he uh, that he graced the studios yesterday. Maybe, maybe he'd be willing to hop on the generational emotions podcast. 
man, what a what a talent to bring on the pod. Maybe I can track that down, see if we can get that going. But um, I want to transition to the NFL real quick because um, the the last uh, on fearless frustrations we we tackled this a little bit. Um, the Kareem Hunt signing. Uh, you, you come over from a, a, a wellness background and I think you can give some good insight on this. The one thing that I want to say is I was watching, um, uh, ESPN just, I, I believe it was yesterday. And, um, one of the, uh, one of the reporters said something that I think really resonated and it was Maria Taylor, Taylor, um, that said that the NFL has showed a, a, a pattern of letting giving these you know these men second chances um, that have committed crimes uh, of des- domestic violence against women, and the NFL has said pretty much that these individuals um, have curable character flaws. What's your reaction to that statement? Because on, that's apparently what ha- it has been lately with uh, the you know oh we're not going to kick him we're just going to place him on the exempt list because he has a curable character flaw what's your reaction to that because mine is my so i have two perspectives on this and one is my professional perspective as someone who works in the wellness center and is one of our trained advocates to be an advocate for people who have been victims of power-based personal violence and in that notion that's not a curable offense Mm mm-hmm What we know from research that's been done extensively is when someone has a propensity to do those things to other people, whether that's in a relationship or outside of a relationship, it's a power dynamic that is extremely difficult for someone to be quote unquote cured of because of the way that they're the way that they analyze situations and they need and have the desire for control in a situation that it's not just that they lose their temper once. It's when it's in the put in front of newspapers and cameras. That's the first time that it came out. Mm-hmm. But most times, it's not the first time it's ever happened, and most likely, it's not the last. And so, from that professional perspective, it's not a curable thing, or it's very rarely curable. And so, especially in the short parameters of which a NFL career can last within a couple of years, I don't know that that's a curable thing. Right. From a fan standpoint, no, and yeah. watching all of these different things happen over the period of time. I think the NFL has very obviously and it's in front of everyone's face that they have picked and cho- picked and chosen different things to mean different things in regards to what gets expended, what's expelled, what's on the the unable to perform list, what like the exact or the expulsion, not really expulsion, but like I don't know, like the suspensions really that happen and then the timelines that they give them are not consistent. It's not consistent if one person does the exact same thing as Kareem Hunt. People have done that before. Mm-hmm. And the range has been anywhere from sit out one game to sit out one season. It fluctuates. And they need really got to figure out what's going on in their house to be consistent. With to, me, what's the ca- the, to me, the catalyst here, and it has been, uh, at least from the NFL standpoint, has been video evidence. right? We, we didn't see anything happen. Back when Ray Rice was getting... You know, in trouble. Right. Um, he had three games. They suspended him three games. And then, of course, the video uh, broke over social media of him, um, you know, hitting his wife in an elevator. And we haven't seen him in the league since. Has what? What role does? What role should and should it at all? You know, should a video hold over? You know, 
reprimanding these players. I think it's what's bringing it to light. It's, it's what's the idea it to light, that the NFL before could say, "Well, this is we've reviewed everything, and in addition, we've, we have access to all this stuff. We've looked at it. We've done it. We've we've given them three game suspension, and." We as the fans then would say, well, they had access to more information than TMZ I got. TMZ is getting a hold of these videos before the NFL. Exactly. Unacceptable. And I think it's good because it's one of those things that it, it's calling them to the carpet. It's saying this is actually what happened and letting the viewers see that information, though I'm not really a fan of the idea of continually seeing those clips being played over and over and over again. Yeah. But it's holding them accountable to the idea of – no, you can't just say that it was he accidentally pushed her. No, you saw the video and you saw exactly what happened. Yeah. And so I think that that's going to help them be consistent in the long run is because there's going to be so many eyes watching because TMZ is going to be put up competition for those videos. Mm-hmm. And I think it's going to be good in the long term because we have to start holding people more accountable to what they do. And just like when we talk about things on campus, other things aside – I view myself as a re- representative of this campus mm-hmm. and I represent them whether I'm at work or whether I'm just happen to be wearing a logo when I'm at Fred Meyer. Of course. And if I do something to hurt the reputation or the expectations of the university, I'm held accountable. And every single one of those NFL players is works for the organization, mm-hmm. whether we like it or not, they're paid, they have a contract, everything else. So holding them to a higher character standard is important because they are role models, whether they choose to be or not. That's what people look to, and people take their cues on what's okay and what's not okay. This is absolutely a bigger matter than sports and the game itself. I, we can definitely agree. Sorry on, to get off on that table. On, on that much, um, and it de- and it deserves that attention, and it still feels like it's not getting that attention. But as sports enthusiasts, let's look at this from just a pure football standpoint. Does this put into perspective just how much the Browns organization sucks? Well, it shows how desperately I mean, they want to win and they want to make it a quick fix situation. For for a, a franchise, though, that has had 20 years of, you know, the, the jersey shirt with the names and just so much bad PR with Josh Gordon. and But now you bring Kareem Hunt in. What? Well, and I thought they were doing some good things. I honestly thought they were doing some good I things. I did, too. <laughs> when they were I bringing really in Carlos Hyde. Didn't work out the way yeah. you want to. But Shipped at the beginning of the last season, I was like, that that could be got, good. Got Doug's fantasy team about one win on the season, right? Maybe. 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 Um, so I thought that was a good move. Uh, the quarterback played itself out the yeah. way it did, uh, whether some people said that it should have been that way in the first place we'll or not. We'll see what Baker can do next year. Mayfield was able – he's bringing a different attitude to it. Yeah, 100%. And that's what they expected from, like, Johnny Manziel. That's what they expected from a lot of different people. But Mayfield's showing that, and he's putting some wins behind it. Mm-hmm. So it's interesting and intriguing, and people want to watch it. I thought they were on a good track. They got some wide receivers. They like they put together they're putting together some pieces and then they do this. And I'm like, this just shows a little bit the desperation that they have to try to put it together for this next season when they should be looking at what are you doing as an institution, as an organization for the five year plan and the ten year plan and what's gonna happen after Mayfield and start to do all of that long term planning now because that's what the good organizations are doing. Mm-hmm. I mean, the New England Patriots brought in Garoppolo a long time ago yeah. to sit and learn behind yeah. the greatest and quarterback. And then go get a huge contract and tear up his knee the following then, year. And well, look where and he is now. It, their just, timeline, just living life on the couch. But it was the insurance policy. And if Brady would have gone down in that timeline, <laughs> you true. had a very viable backup. 
People, people seem to. You mentioned Brady, so that brought me up to a point I was talking about the other day. People seem to forget Brady was getting injured, kind of back in that 2000. He he tore it up right. to his ACL, and he was out for a season. There's a reason why Matt Castle, yeah. had the opportunity to go on stage. People forget the Matt Castle era, and then go to what Vikings and yeah. get paid a ton of money, ton of money to not do good. Yeah, but uh, yeah, and so whether so that, what does that mean? He's a good system quarterback or whole, whole different conversations, but. The organization has always been planning on what's next, kind of like the Seahawks philosophy of right. next man up. The idea that you can't just be surface level. You have to have the depth and you have to have the planning of what's going to happen. I'm betting you if you actually got to sit in those rooms with Pete Carroll, then you could see that they have a plan of what's going to happen after Russell Wilson retires. Or they're goes making and plays a plan. baseball or yeah, whatever like they're, it may be. They're having to have contingency plans. And I think right. that's where the Browns have been very short-sighted in what they're doing one, because you just had to come up with a win. Mm-hmm. Short-term win, uh, benchmark, have a win. Just one. That's it, just one. And then they got a couple. But now they're trying to shoot for the moon like playoffs because taking everything else aside, Kareem Hunt's huge talent. Huge talent. Yeah, he was, he was arguably every single team was chomping at the bit to move up in that third round to, to try and get Kareem. And right. sh- so, and I especially mean, in a league where there's not so many running backs and injury takes out so many of them on so many of our fantasy football teams. Yes. Doug, yes. D- Doug's talking from a point of, of, of just lots of experience. Lots of, lots experience, of experience and just, yeah, our, our friend Doug didn't do, do too well in the Berg Fantasy Football League this year, did he? My team was coming up in the end, but I had to rely on a lot of young players like Lindsey, Philip Lindsey. Yeah, but, uh, yeah, but we Breda, know coming up like, in the end doesn't matter, Doug. It's how you start. If it was a dynasty league, I'd be doing really well for next year. <laughs> if it was dynasty, all right. Just saying. Clo- any closing thoughts before we before we end today's episode? No, I'm I'm excited again to see that three point competition. The three we'll point all star weekend should be fun. I always love watching the celebrity game. Uh, it's always kind of entertaining. You know, they it's get entertaining. the they get the Justin Beavers in the world and whatever. And the Kevin Hart, the, the guys Hart's I like, amazing to watch. Always, Kevin, so I think they stopped inviting him because he, he was just too much. But I mean, like JB Smoove, uh, those kind of guys. Right. Uh, Arsenio the, Hall. Some of the sportscasters that take it way serious. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I remember uh, uh, Ryan. Mike and the Mike and Mike show. I remember. Yeah. Uh, when they were they were both playing on opposite teams, and and their whole show was surrounded over, you know, just who was gonna drop the most points. Ryan Rosillo takes it so seriously <laughs> it's so much fun to watch a lot of them do though i mean if i was a celebrity which you know in a in another life i think i like to think that you know one day we'll both be celebrities doug you you might be already a celebrity with the, your bowling accolades and, and all that but who knows maybe g- generational emotions might be the the next uh, number one downloaded podcast on iTunes you never know it could be you got to shoot for the stars ladies and gentlemen and that's how we are going to end today's show we'll be back next week same time same place i'll be here